0: Oh, hello everybody. I'm just uh, going to begin the talk in a moment, but I've just noticed that I haven't lit my candle, so I'm just going to do that. I like to have a a candle burning when I'm teaching, just as a kind of a simple honoring of the, the teaching of the Buddha and the In a way the flame of Dharma that was ignited two and a half thousand years ago and that has been passed and shared from one person to another over the generations in the same way that a flame can be passed from one candle or one light to another. And so a sense of something that illuminates our life that the teachings of the Buddha have certainly been that for myself and for hundreds and thousands of of human beings like ourselves over the generations. And I'd like to speak this evening about the, in a way, the, the teachings of the Buddha, the activity that we're engaged in, meditation practice and yoga practice and what we're doing here. the buddha as a as a designation as a as a term means the awakened one it's just a simple acknowledgement we could say of a of a certain status or state that has been attained that is available to human beings the possibility of waking up and this process of waking up is one in which we are very much invited to be awake in our body. In fact, I would go so far as to say that this process of waking up cannot really be separated from the process of waking up in our body. Now, we might often think it's our mind that awakens. In fact, our mind and our body are so deeply woven together. And the Buddha's teaching and instruction with regard to meditation practice, the initial framework or foundation that he invited and encouraged the followers of his teaching to to attend to is the body, the first foundation of mindfulness, as uh, many of you will be familiar with the term. And uh, we can also often hear about meditation as mindfulness of the body, which it certainly is. And yet equally, we can talk about what it means to be awake. To the body and when the buddha spoke of this he he also he spoke about being awake in the body and as the body and we could just maybe take a moment and sense how it feels to hear it framed in that way to be awake to the body in the body as the body and what i notice is that for myself it feels a little different than being mindful of the body in which the body might then, in that case, seem to be something as a distant object that one is observing. Whereas, in fact, this practice asks us to inhabit our experience, and in that, to inhabit our body, and come to know this experience we call body from the inside. It's something, I think, quite understandable and yet important to recognize as a as a risk or a danger within meditation practice or what we could call the practice of the Dharma, as we would talk about it, the, the following of the Buddha's teachings, which are known as the Buddha's Dharma. And that the practice of Dharma in this way could if we aren't aware of this risk it could become just another expression of a materialistic consumerism that we see in our culture we see in our world that the drive the movement to and the encouragement to consume experience to have things to have experiences in our and for our body our mind our heart a way in which we are seeking fulfillment through the obtaining of either material things or immaterial things, which we call experiences. And while this is very understandable that we might approach our meditation in this way, I think it's really important to reflect on this possibility and the the limitations that it inevitably involves. When we relate to our bodies, The habit is to measure, to evaluate, to look at how we might fix or improve our body. And this is something we do habitually almost without realizing it. And as so many people often report, as soon as we're invited to give attention to our breathing, we start wondering, am I doing the breathing right? And of course, there are incredibly helpful and useful breathing exercises and trainings we can do within the yoga tradition, within Buddhist traditions also. And we can employ these to great benefit, but to also recognize that the, the tendency to look at our experience and, for instance, our body from that point of view of measuring and evaluating has an effect, rather than simply abiding in this body, which offers us something rather different. And so just to notice, as we turn towards, as we're invited and encouraged in the different practices, to give our attention to this body, to inhabit it, to to notice, is there some way that we are measuring, evaluating, comparing our bodies or our practice? And I always have appreciated in in the in the yoga teaching that I've I've heard from Helen, the the invitation to close the eyes and not get into that comparing, not looking at another and trying to see if I'm doing it the same as, better than, or not as well as someone else. And likewise in meditation, that invitation is helpful. It's not the primary reason one might often be invited to close one's eyes in meditation practice, but uh, nonetheless it. It has a similar implication here. Can we let our practice find its way? Trusting that for each of us, it will take its own form, shape and time. It won't look the same as each other's. Although there will be perhaps common features we can recognize. This journey of awakening that we're engaged in here, whether as a long established experienced practitioner, as some of you are, or as someone relatively new, just exploring, wondering, touching into the beginnings of this path. This journey of awakening as an authentic practice is not just something we do. It's not an activity, some sort of thing we perform, a task or an exercise, or a technique that we learn to be good at because it's useful to us. It, authentic practice is not just something we do. It needs to become something that we are. Because otherwise we risk the meditation becoming something that's simply a repetition of our conditioned habits and patterns and the ways self as a structure seeks to gain and accumulate to itself more things, more experiences or more qualifications, such as becoming a good yogi or a good meditator. And there may be some benefit, of course, to us. It's not all bad if we are simply a good meditator. But this will not access or offer to us the deeper possibilities or the greater potential of our human heart, to know, and our human mind, to know freedom, to know awakening. And so this journey of awakening asks us to establish a kind and conscious relationship with our body as a basis for contemplating the wisdom it reveals. And so we might just, again, in, in just hearing this, this, what is it to form or to establish a kind and conscious relationship with our body of course paying attention we start to become more conscious what is it to bring kindness here do we notice perhaps as i think for many of us will be the case how we we tend to often imagine someone or some other group of people may evaluate our bodies if they were to look at them that they might react to or judge this body that we call my body. We might anticipate criticism or we might anticipate appreciation. We might anticipate other people's interest or other people's disinterest. And while of course other people may indeed relate to ourselves and to our bodies in these ways, what that's generally telling us is something about how we relate to ourselves and to our own body. And the sense of our body and sense of ourself are closely connected. How we imagine we're seen or evaluated by others as a person is often connected to how we imagine our body may be seen or evaluated by others. And so sadly, in our world and in the culture we live in, there's the risk and the Sometimes not unreasonable expectation of rejection that leads to a sense of unease, that we don't feel comfortable in the bodily experience because somehow we don't trust that it will bring us what we hope for in terms of comfort, ease, well being, or appreciation from others or ourselves. And as a result of that, we find ourselves becoming distant or holding ourselves apart, distant and disconnected from our body. And the journey of returning to, of reconnecting with, of again embodying our life and living an embodied life becomes very central to the spiritual journey. And the. There's different elements to this. Some of it is because, of course, at times we experience what is difficult or intense and challenging in our bodies. Sensations associated with pain or with distress, with emotional overwhelm or physical illness or injury. These we experience in our body as something unwished for, unwanted, unpleasant and often unconsciously reject or push away. So in the practice, we learn, we practice opening to, coming back into contact with that which may be uncomfortable or unflattering, or just simply unwelcome and to see, can I, can I bring kindness here? Can I bring appreciation for this, even with its limitations and undoubted imperfections, but can I honor? Just also the remarkable miracle that it works at all, even if it doesn't work perfectly, that it works well enough that we could be here, which is quite something actually. If we don't take it for granted, it's, it's quite remarkable. Just the fact that we're here at all and our body is sustaining this life moment by moment. And so as we, we practice attending to our body and using that as a way of being present, we're inevitably also coming into contact with our relationship with our body and our relationship to the world because that we experience our body in the world and affected by the world in so many ways. Another aspect of the body we can reflect upon is the or the relationship to our body is we can notice how sometimes we think of it in terms of its sort of for me to use or to make use of and just the way we talk about it, it's my body and of course it's not somebody else's body in that sense so that's fine as a way to relate to it but that sense of mind easily suggests to us an association of ownership and control and this body in a sense we own it but in another sense we don't it comes to us it's given to us we didn't sort of earn it or buy it or purchase it in some way. And at some point, it will be taken from us, not necessarily according to our choosing or preference. So in a sense, it's not really ours in that way. It's maybe something borrowed, we could think of it in those terms. And yet, mostly, when we're not conscious, when we aren't reflective, we think of it as being mine and for the use of me, for my benefit. And we might, you know, relate to the appearance to, to try and gain compliments, to gain praise, to make ourselves feel good. And It's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But we can also find ourselves depending upon it in a way that it cannot sustain. We might use this body also, think of it in terms of this is how we get what we want, how to attract a partner, how to, how to have children. You know, and of course, our bodies are required for that. It can't happen without bodies. And yet, there's also something more to it than this. Relationships, offspring, children, and I'm not a parent, so I don't speak as a parent here, but I have a, a long-term relationship and, and I also have friends who have children and also those who are and aren't in relationships. And these are things we talk about a lot. They're central in our lives. And so of course it's understandable that given our bodies have such a role in how these come about, that that's part of what we relate to when we relate to our bodies. And yet this idea that our body is here to be used by ourselves to provide ourselves with what we want. There's something true about it. And that of course, through our body, it is possible to connect with immense, and beautiful aspects of spiritual development. But we also, in the kind of habitual way of relating, can contract and tighten around the idea of ownership, the belief that we should be able to control how our body is. And even with all the care that we might take in terms of movement, in terms of diet, in terms of exercise and practice, still our bodies can get ill, still our bodies age, still our bodies can be injured. And inevitably too, our bodies will one day cease to function and will no longer be alive. And so we could we could hold the sense of body perhaps differently. And I find that sense of this body is something that is here for for our use for this time, or for our our journey. It's more like a vehicle, and maybe a vehicle we've been loaned. And when when I think of it, when I relate in that way, it kind of it more naturally brings a sense of appreciation. It's like when when something is loaned to us, we're much more. It's like don't look a gift horse in the mouth. When it's given to us, we're not. We, we're encouraged, and we have the Sort of the wisdom to not sort of try and evaluate and say, oh, is it a good enough one? No, just be grateful. We got one. We got this one for all the limitations it may have. And what's interesting to see here as we as we start to feel into what we experience as body, what we think of and relate to as body, and that that sense of ownership and that sense of this is here for me and for my use. We also see this can be related or can be expressed in our relationship to the larger body of life, to other bodies, to the body of the earth, where we as an individual and maybe also collectively as a human species may may look at this as something to use to get what we want, to serve our particular preferences or our, our ego structure needs, to to kind of make ourselves feel good about ourselves in some way without fully considering the impact on what we are using or acting upon. This process of objectifying our own bodies, other people, or any expression of life, in fact, it leads to a kind of a devaluation and an exploitation. If we don't honor something as having its own its own meaningfulness, its own value, its own subjectivity in a way, which we could we could relate to that in terms of its own sacredness or its own soul. We might find different words for it that resonate. If we don't see that, if we don't recognize that, then we so easily disregard or exploit that which we don't honor or recognize the sacredness of, or the spirit of, or the soul of. However, we might find that language to resonate there. And when we do that, of course, there's a real cost. There's a real cost to ourselves because we in fact become disconnected from that which we objectify, from which we see as something that doesn't have meaning in life in itself. But only has meaning insofar as what it can do for me, or what it might do to me, according to whether we see with the the lens of of wanting and desire, craving and grasping, or whether we look through the lens of fear and aversion, of rejection, or condemnation, resistance. These different habitual ways of reacting and relating to experience that are part of the way an objectified relationship expresses itself. And so likewise with our very practice, to see that our relationship to this is not served by seeing practice as some objectified process that's apart from us. This practice isn't about looking good it's not about even feeling good although there are many ways in which those feelings of well-being that we that we seek and long for can be supported cultivated and developed through practice but ultimately what is being invited here is a transformation in the way we relate to the entirety of our life the entirety of life ourselves which includes, of course, this body that we call our body, and ultimately all bodies, all bodies of life. That's not to say we can't employ the body in this process of practice. That's not to say there isn't a real wisdom in understanding how to make good use of the body. But always done with real respect and an honoring of its own intelligence, its own sensitivity, and also its own capacity to offer to us what we might need if we learn the correct way to ask. So, one of the ways that we can work with our body that can be very helpful in in practice and meditations looking at how we find a balance between engagement and effort and relaxation and ease for many of us we tend to experience alertness and engagement as something that always comes with a high degree of tension or tightening and we can be very active and focused, but often in a way that's quite contracted. We might not always be aware of this, but if we feel the condition of our body when that's going on, we'll often notice a real sense of tightening and contraction. Or we're used to being relaxed and at ease, but kind of sleepy, kind of not really focused or present. And sometimes in meditation, we can find that this arises for us. Sometimes when we're practicing, We sort of move between the trying really hard and then the kind of getting exhausted, giving up and not really being very, very precise, being kind of vague or sort of fuzzy. And that's not to say that there's something wrong with that. Sometimes we just go through periods where that's how it is and that's okay. But we can employ the body as a way of working within the territory to see Whether it may be possible to develop for ourselves the capacity that we have to be alert and yet relaxed together, to bring a quality of attentiveness that's fully engaged and yet is placing no demands upon the experience for ourselves. And so, with the body, we can find that when there's tiredness, when there's heaviness, it's really useful to give attention to the upright quality whether sitting or standing or even lying down as i was speaking with um one practitioner earlier today and i I can't remember now whether it was in the uh in the period after the morning instruction and sitting or in the small group meeting but the the idea that if one needs to lie down because one's body is uh, either experiencing illness or injury or some other limitation one can place one's hand upright on the ground and just have the forearm be upright to represent that quality. But when sitting or standing, when there's heaviness or dullness or sleepiness, making a little more effort with the posture to be upright, opening the space between the pelvis and the sternum, just sensing the lifting of the head, rising up. These can be so helpful as a way of working With where the energy is low, and that physical effort involved helps brighten the mind. And when, of course, we experience the opposite of heaviness, or drowsiness, or sleepiness, when we're feeling much more agitated, or tense, or sort of wired in some way, what can be really helpful is giving attention to the out-breath, and just inviting a softening of the body. Even if the mind is still busy, just allowing oneself to feel the heaviness, the solidity, the the weightiness of the body that quite naturally has a grounding effect and an earthing effect for that agitation, that activation that we sometimes experience. And if we feel restless, one of the things that can be so useful is just to let oneself feel the restlessness in the body. Not to have to do something not to move away from it but to really experience it it's just energy maybe really uncomfortable but to make our attention wide and soft and allow ourselves to sense our body resting on the earth and in this way explore finding a balance as we as we do so as we learn to to feel into our body, as we start to give it attention, quite naturally, although initially we might feel places of tightness, contraction, discomfort, unease or numbness, and of course this is is quite natural to encounter this, but as we start to give more attention, as we come back again and again and again, we start to also sense how it softens, how the body becomes porous, perhaps even in moments starts to dissolve or feel not quite so solid without losing its substance or its substantiality. It's not like we somehow are disconnecting from the body, but do we actually sense as we attend to it more fully that it's open and fluid and alive. And there may be something enjoyable about that at times, but equally a little unsettling and nervy, or maybe even scary because we're not used to feeling our body that way. If this is something we're not familiar with. And for some, of course, this may be something we know already, but to actually Again, I'm not suggesting this is supposed to be happening. It may or may not, as any number of different experiences can and may, but equally may or may not show up in our experience. But if this is something you begin to notice, that sense of softening, the sense of opening of the body and any unease with that, just going slowly to there's nothing to be afraid of, nothing to to fear, but it's okay just to check, to see, is this okay, what's happening here? And if, if the body feels too fluid or open, that that doesn't feel comfortable, then sometimes we can just give more attention to where it feels more solid, like where the seat of our, of our, or our bottom or our, our buttocks are in contact with the chair or the seat, or our knees or feet are on the ground. So just kind of earthing and grounding ourselves. And if it feels more intense or uncomfortable, if it feels quite the opposite of soft, if it's much more a sense of tightness or uncomfortableness in the body, sometimes expanding the attention can be helpful just to take in the whole body, not to focus on a particular place, but allow it to open up, allowing our attention to be more open, more soft. (coughs) So it's important to understand here, we're not trying to change the experience. We're actually working with the quality of attention we bring that can and often will have an effect on our experience, but won't determine what happens. So when I talk about softening, it's not that we have to soften a part of the body that might feel tight. We may or may not be able to. Sometimes that's a useful way to work, but it's actually softening the attention that we bring to it really bringing a sense of of gentleness, of caring to it, as if we're in relationship with something sensitive and vulnerable that we care about, which, in fact, we are. And how we relate to this, how we relate to this body is so important. Both that kindness and gentleness, inviting and exploring what's possible. And at the same time, also contemplating and reflecting upon this body too. This individual physical body in which our practice unfolds, it belongs to the vast body of life, to the greater body of all living things, which are related and connected in this earth and this cosmos, in fact, the vast universe of life. And the very, the very molecules, the very atoms, the very fundamental material that our body is made of. <coughs> Excuse me, my throat's getting a little dry. And we see our bodies, we need to take care of them. They have their needs. They don't necessarily fit in with, yes, I won't cough while you're talking. They just say, you're going to cough now. and. I have to go along with it. That's our body. And then we can, from that very immediate, simple human experience, we also can be considering the the more cosmic aspect of this body. As I was saying, the very elements that make it up were born with the beginning of the universe. Although not in the particular configuration it's in now, but everything in this body was here at the beginning. That's quite something to contemplate. In one sense, we've been here a long time, and this body emerges out of so many connections, relationships, and processes. That again, when we contemplate, we might have some sense of the remarkableness of how complex, how amazing it is, and. In fact, there's so much that goes on in our bodies. One, one sort of uh, way of contemplating the body that um, someone explained to me uh, some time ago, and I found it fascinating. Most of us, we probably think, you know, uh, you know, human beings, we're not that big, really, you know, sort of, you know, larger than insects, but we're, we're relatively small on the cosmic scale of things. And yet, interestingly, the science of the moment, at least as it is, has done a lot of work to try and work out what the largest dimensions of the, the universe are. And there's all sorts of complicated science, which I can't claim to understand. That says how many times bigger than a human being the universe is. I don't even remember the number. But there's also been a lot of exploration and, and, and looking at what are the what are the smallest particles that can be found in the universe? What are the tiniest things in the universe? And rather fascinatingly if you were to to place a human being somewhere between the largest thing and the smallest thing the largest possible measurements can be made of the whole universe and the smallest thing that can be found in it where would we place ourselves now i don't know where you'd place yourself but i tended to think oh i'll probably be down the smaller end of things but actually interestingly The smallest things in the universe are smaller in proportion to a human being than we are smaller than the largest thing of the whole universe. I don't know if I've explained that well. Sometimes I can make sense of it. Sometimes that doesn't quite come through. But what it means is there is more smallness within us than there is largeness outside us. In a certain way, we are giants. We're remarkable complex systems full of other remarkable complex systems full of other remarkable complex systems. And we ourselves, of course, form a component of a larger complex system we are also part of. Sometimes the science can be quite evoking of a sense of, of the amazingness of things. And sometimes it's not what does it for us at all. It's just the the felt sense, the, what is this? When we turn towards it, that we don't quite know. What is this body? You know, we, we know what science tells us about it, but in a certain way, we also don't really know how it is that this comes to be, that we're here. And how might we relate to our life from this place? from the sense of we we're here for some time as human beings. And this body that comes into existence also leaves this existence. Mary Oliver writes in her poem, when death comes, she writes when death comes like the hungry bear in autumn, when death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse to buy me, and snaps his purse shut. When death comes like the measle pox, when death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades, I want to step through the door full of curiosity, wondering what is it going to be like, that cottage of darkness? And therefore I look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood, And I look upon time as no more than an idea. And I consider eternity as another possibility. And I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy, and as singular. And each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending as all music does towards silence. And each body a lion of courage and something precious to this earth. When it's over, I want to say, all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was a bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I've made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing or frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. And I find Mary Oliver's words very powerful and in this field of reflection. I want to step through that door full of curiosity, wondering. And she's talking about the doorway that we call death. But it could equally be referring to our entry into the body. What is it to enter into this body full of curiosity, wondering? What is this going to be like? The entry into the unknown to go beyond our assumptions and certainties. And in a certain way, we have to let go of our ideas about the body and the way we claim it as our possession, the sense of ownership that we have around it, to experience this body as it is, free of our projections and our demands. And in this, we might, again, in Mary Oliver's words, we might see each body as a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. Just notice what that might be, to to turn towards your own body as a lion of courage and as something precious to the earth. The great... Teacher and meditation practitioner Sahara, sorry, Saraha, who lived in the 8th century in India and was the teacher of the great, uh, much more famous teacher Nagarjuna. Saraha once said, There is no place of pilgrimage as fabulous and as open as this body of mine, no place more worth exploring. And so, we are invited to explore this body, contemplating it with our attention, with our care, in the stillness and in the movement of our postures and our practice. And we see it has so much to offer us. This body is the basis of our sense of tangible presence. I think I said this morning that, you know, the mind can be anywhere and often is, but the body is always here and now. And so it gives us this reference, this way of accessing immediacy and presence. And it's in this body, in this very body, we discover the dharma, the wisdom, the teachings of freedom and liberation the Buddha spoke of this body and he, he talked about this fathom long body with fathom. Actually, he, I guess he didn't use the word fathom. That's a, an old English word from sort of probably a couple of centuries ago. It was used more commonly. I think it it's six feet or just a bit less than two meters, 180 centimeters, I guess, 183 or something like that. This fathom long body, but it's interesting because fathom is a, a way of measuring depth more commonly than height so in the oceans we talk about fathoms and there's that famous book isn't there um no she's at leagues anyway that's another measurement I'm getting confused about my different old measurement terms um but in this the sense of fathom for me evokes the sense of the longness of the body rather than sort of from the going up into the sky it more has the sense of going down into the earth and I kind of like that And the the Buddha said that in this fathom long body, the origin of suffering, of dukkha, of that which is difficult in life, can be understood. The cause of it can be understood. The end of it can be understood. The cessation of this and the path to that that cessation can be understood in and through this body. And so this body is recognized as the vehicle of our journey, as the framework for both understanding the nature of how we become entangled in dissatisfaction, how we resist and struggle that which we find to be hard to bear, and how we can also open to it and transform our relationship, our experience, and our understanding of this in a way that reveals our human potential for freedom and the awakening of our heart and our mind the buddha spoke of this body as the place in which we understand this is this is a perhaps a little less straightforward to understand so just bear with me i, I hope this will come across in a way that works for you The Buddha talks about this body as a place in which we experience not just the the ending of suffering, of Dukkha, of that which is hard to bear, but also the cessation of the world. And this is a, a phrase that's given to a lot of different views and interpretations, but the cessation of the world that the Buddha speaks about is not the end of the world and somehow the world ceasing to exist. And he's, he's very clear that it's not possible to come to the end of the world, he says. You can't get to the place. But nonetheless, the awakening and transformation of a human life comes through understanding what it means for the world to end. And what that means, and the way I understand that, is that it's not about the ending of the world or the rejection of the world, but the way in which we come to see and understand what it is to be, what it is that we are, that does not hold itself separate from the world. And therefore the world does not arise as an object does not arise as separate from ourself. And everything in the world, this body, ourselves, others, and all things, whether we perceive them as living or not, all things are given their own subjectivity. All things are recognized as co-participants in the awakened nature, in the Buddha nature, we could say. That is the deepest truth of life. And so the non-arising of the world is separate. The non-arising of what we see as ourselves, this heart, mind, body, living, dynamic process that we are. Not separate from everything around us, because we are inevitably and constantly affecting and being affected by everything around us and within us to such a degree that we cannot, in any ultimate or meaningful way, truly hold ourselves apart from all of this. And this is the the understanding that we awaken to that transforms a human being's life that transforms our own hearts and minds as we come to see and understand it more fully. That what it is to be awake is to be awakened amidst all things. What it is to be free is to be free amidst all things, not apart from them. And this, this journey of awakening in our body is one that we give ourselves to. Understanding this life is given to us. This body is given to us. The spiritual journey asks us to give our lives in a way to offer our lives back in this way, in the spirit, giving ourselves to the practice as we practice, having a sense of our life as something offered to us, and therefore quite naturally to be offered back to support the well-being of the larger life of which we are part. I'd like to finish with a poem by Jean Toomer, who writes, I sit in my room, the thick adobe walls are transparent to the mountains. The mountains move in, excuse me, the mountains move in. I sit among the mountains. I, who am no more, having lost myself to let the world in. This world of black and bronze mesas, canyoned by rivers from the higher hills. I am the hills, I am the mountains, and the dark trees thereon. I am the storm, I am this day and all revealed. Blue without boundary, bright without limit, selfless at this entrance to the universe. So let's just sit together for a, a moment or two, just allowing. whatever may be resonating to resonate, allowing whatever may not resonate to be released. Just simply being present for a few moments with and in your body, just as you are. May we all in our practice together here and in our lives, may we, may we meet these bodies that we live in and with and through with kindness and with care, with curiosity and with respect. And may we come to know the awakening of our bodies and the awakening of all of life, awakening in these bodies, Awakening in the midst of all of life for our own welfare and for the welfare of all beings, for the well-being of all that lives.